Hello, 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 and welcome to In Flight. I'm your host, Sol Vashez. Magnus could not join us this week because he had a lot on his plate, so it was a little bit difficult for us to schedule a time to record together. So, I am your sole host again. Haha, <laughs> sole host. I'm the only host, and my name is also Sol. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> anyway, we have a pretty long talk ahead of us with Kyle, uh, who we'll get into a little bit more in a few minutes. But this week, yours truly will be taking care of the news. So let's hop right into it. <clears throat> the news for this week starts off with Stairport, who have released their SAM World Jetways plugin that adds SAM Jetways to all default airports. The add-on automatically replaces all default jetways and integrates seamlessly with the standard SAM version 2 menu. Stairport's SAM World Jetways is available to buy now from the Aerosoft store for $18.55 USD. What? $18.55 USD, excluding any applicable taxes. Back again is Orbex, this time around having released their Tacoma Narrows Airport. The airport features the standard Orbex list of PBR implementation, accurate modeling, ground clutter and equipment, as well as volumetric grass and HD trees. If you would like to pick up Orbex's latest product, you can for $34.95 Australian dollars on Orbex Direct now. Next up is FlightJSIM, who released their quarter four of 2019 update. The quarterly progress report update from FlightJSIM showed us news on shared flight and, of course, the legendary Q4XB. Also mentioned briefly was X-Plane Vulcan updates. Check out all the previews on the editorial. And if you would like to hear from some members of the FlightJSIM development team, you can tune into episode one of InFlight, where we talk with Jack and Delaney. Continuing, we all thought we would never hear the words, but Tolias has announced the A321 for X-Plane. Yes, you heard that right, an A321 for X-Plane. Not much was shown in the announcement post, but we have been able to confirm a few features so far. IAE and CFM engine options, fences or sharklets, and NEO and XLR variants are planned but have not been confirmed at this moment in time. Up next is Hotstart, who have updated their TBM 900 to version 1.1.10. This update revolves predominantly around lighting, with readability being the key in this iteration of the aircraft. This extends to glasswork and panel textures, in addition to reworked reflections on the PFD and MFD. Check out the full change log on the editorial. Next up is Drozdaki Design, who have released their Moscow Airport for X-Plane version 2. It features a high-quality model of the airport and interior modeling at most terminal buildings, animated jetways, VGDS, marshallers, and custom animations with the SAM plugin. Find out all the details on the editorial. And finally this week, we have an update from Open Scenery X. The very, very popular scenery library has been updated to version 4.3.1. The main upshot of version 4.3.0 is added functionality with seasons, with optimizations to winter assets, and added support for season switching through Scenery Animation Manager version 2. That's it for the news this week. If you want to find out more details on any of today's news, you can find them all on the Threshold Editorial, which can be found at thresholdx.net. That's T-H-R-E-S-H-O-L-D-X dot period net, along with other great X-Plane news. This week, we had the opportunity to speak with Kyle from Zero Dollar Payware. Now, 
That name might not sound familiar to you because Kyle has not been in the scenery world for too long, but I am sure you are familiar with his very popular rendition of KSDF, Louisville International Airport. So let's talk to Kyle and see what he has to say about Microsoft Flight Simulator, his new Anchorage scenery, and so much more. Hello, everyone. Today I'm joined by Kyle DeJohn. He is a member of Zero Dollar Payware and has developed scenery such as KSDF and is currently working on PANC, otherwise known as Anchorage. Welcome, Kyle, to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing just great. Yeah, how's how's the weather out there in Seattle? Is it all right? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit rainy today, but uh, I think it's supposed to be nice and dry tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll go out and get some mountain biking done. Oh, that's nice. That's kind of like the typical weather for Seattle, though, right? A lot of a little bit of rain here and there. Yeah, a lot of rain, but not a lot at once. That's nice, at least. Here in New York, we kind of get the uh, we get like the scattered snow and rain, and and I think that New York is like one of the most in line with all the seasons these days. It's when it when it's winter, it's winter, and when it's summer, it's really summery. Then we have like those really crazy rainy seasons. Yeah, for sure. I actually grew up in New York. I lived there for almost 20 years. So I definitely feel the the hot summers and the very cold winters. Oh, really? Did you start getting into the X-Plane world in New York? Or was that something that happened once you started to move? Uh, That happened when I was in college. I went to college in Texas. And uh, I was using FSX for a while. And when X-Plane 11 was announced, I went and bought X-Plane 10. And use that for a few months, and then moved over to X-Plane 11 when that was released, and I've stuck with it ever since. What? Why? Why X-Plane? Uh, well, I thought about P3D, and I, I got kind of tired of all the issues I was having with FSX, and wanted to try something new. And when X-Plane came out, I mean, that was when I think P3D was on version three, and so X-Plane had quite a leg up on the graphical side of things, and. Uh, and the flight model and all that. So I want to try something new and I like it. It's a great sim. It's worked well for me in the past and hardly ever get any crashes, which I can't say about FSX. <laughs> yeah, I I haven't gotten any P3D crashes ever, uh, but I do know some of my friends complain about FSX crashes here and there. So how did you get into X-Plane Scenery? Uh, well, I was doing some repaints here and there for a while and started messing around with a lot of different things in X-Plane. And uh, I never really thought anything about scenery development until I sort of just realized that there were a lot of airports that didn't have very good sceneries. And it just sort of got me curious on what it would take to make them myself. And so I decided to sort of just jump right in. And uh, I started with a couple of small airports and slowly worked my way up to doing big airports to see, A, if I actually like making sceneries and B, if it was uh, something that I was even good at. And so I never really had a specific inclination towards sceneries. I just thought it was something that needed to be done and looked like it could have been fun. So you said you started with smaller airports. What were some of those? So the first airport I did was Warwick in uh, in New York. It was my hometown airport when I was growing up. Uh, the code is November 72. And that's a pretty small field with a, a single short runway, a couple of grass strips. And I did that just to really figure out what was involved in making an airport and get the basics down to see if it was even possible. And then from there, I moved up to Easterwood Field in Texas, which was my local field at the time when I was going to college. 
And then that was sort of another step up, a little bit bigger airport, had some custom buildings, and then moved up to Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic. And uh, after that, went to Louisville. So I sort of stepped my way up, starting really small and getting bigger as I went, which worked out really well for me in the end. I learned a lot of things along the way, but it was never like going head on into something that was this huge project. It was always small increments, which made learning a lot easier. So Warwick Municipal Airport, I'm bringing it up here. Um, it does look, it looks like it's kind of um, expanded a little bit since its grass days. So your specific reason for, for doing that was really because it was your hometown airport? Yeah, it was an airport that I knew pretty well in real life. My dad had a uh, Cessna 172, and so I'd go out there and fly a lot. So I was pretty familiar with the whole airport. And uh, it's a small airport in a pretty small town, so there wasn't a whole lot of overhead. Uh, and it was really kind of an easy project to start out with. There wasn't like a whole big city nearby that I had to deal with. I didn't have to worry about performance issues since it was such a small airport. Uh, and really, it was just uh, it was kind of just an easy starting point that I was going off of. And so when I was thinking, what small airport can I I test out the waters with? That was the first one that came to my mind and pretty much the obvious solution. So do you have your, your pilot's license uh, or did you just fly the 172 for fun? Uh, I don't have my license. That's one of my biggest regrets. I really wish I had gotten that when I was in high school and I had the time. Um, but I, I think... Probably in the next year or so, I'm going to start the process and go through and get my license. Something I've wanted to do for a while, but it's expensive and takes a lot of time. And with life getting in the way, it's sort of hard to find the right time to do it. Yeah, definitely. So I imagine that since Warwick was your hometown airport, there was a lot of things that became really, really easy in making the scenery. Uh, for instance, uh, my my hometown airport is pretty much LaGuardia, uh, and I bet if I were to go and make a scenery for it, then I would. It would probably be one of the more successful things that I did, because it's right by me, so I'm able to go to it, and I see airplanes going in and out of it, and see it very often. So I imagine that that's one thing that you were able to do when you were making that. When you start going into larger airports um, and airports that you're not necessarily completely familiar with, how do you go about that process of gathering images and other things like points of reference in order to make an accurate scenery? Yeah, so that's one of the most difficult things with working on an airport which you haven't been to. Somewhere where you've been and you're familiar with is easy because you can go off memory for a lot of things, even just where uh, you know vehicles are usually parked or what stands usually have planes on them or things like that. Uh, you can't really do that when you're working at an airport that you've never been to or are unfamiliar with. So my biggest tool is Google Earth, which I think is uh, pretty common among most senior developers. It's just really useful to look around that and gauge where things are and where things should be. Uh, a lot of other resources that I use, I would say um, YouTube is pretty big. There's a lot of videos people take of just takeoffs and landings at airports. And so you can just sort of go through the videos and thumb through them looking for little things or getting uh, unique angles that you're not going to find a still image of on Google Images. Uh, but beyond that, there's the other two things that I would say are 
are sort of unconventional is using actual people at the airports. So for Louisville, uh, I reached out to a couple of people, or rather they reached out to me, um, people who worked at the airport or lived right nearby it, and they were available to answer questions or do beta testing. And so they'd be able to point out those little things that you really have to be familiar with the airport in order to know. And then on top of that, uh, the other thing is sort of just knowing how the airports are designed and what things are supposed to be doing. So for example, with lighting, lights are really hard to do in a scenery because you can't really see them from Google Earth. You're not gonna really find a lot of good nighttime images of the airport. So you sort of have to extrapolate where lights are and what the spacing is and what the color is and if they're embedded or if they're on stalks. And so a lot of that is you kind of have to learn what the purpose of the lights are and how they work. And then you can just sort of figure out, well, if I was designing this airport, I would design these lights like this. So for example, um, you'll notice that a lot of airports that have centerline lighting, the spacing will be pretty far between the lights. It might be like 15 or 20 or 30 feet between each light. But when you go around a turn, they're spaced a lot closer. They're about five to 10 feet apart. And so that's something that not a lot of people realize, but it adds that little detail in the airport that makes it just a little bit better is knowing all the little nuanced details to add in to make it a little bit more realistic. So would you say that you kind of, you get in the headspace of an airport designer themselves when you're recreating in the airport? Yeah, I would say that's definitely true. It, you really have to think about, since you're designing the airport more or less from scratch, You've got all the guidelines that your references give you, but you have to be able to fill in the gaps of things that you can't see. And so you kind of have to think like an airport designer in order to fill in all those gaps. So it's kind of like you have Google Earth and you have YouTube and all these great things. And in your case, you actually have people who are at the airport, but then you need to add your own little creative flair to say. Yep, that's exactly it. You're getting a lot of spots. It's like you're, you're filling out a puzzle. And you get 75% of the pieces from all of the different resources that you're going with, but you got to be able to fill in all those extra ones that are missing, fill in all the holes. And that's just by your own intuition and, and your own uh, knowledge of the airport. That, that makes a lot of sense, but how do you judge yourself and make sure that you don't go too far with that intuition and don't make something that's like inaccurate? Yeah. So that's kind of tough. I ran into that a lot when I was doing Punta Cana because that airport has a lot less resources to look at than some of the other ones. Uh, and so it's sort of just a judgment call. And usually I just want to go on the side of caution for that. If there's something that I'm really not sure about, I'll sort of look into it to an extent and see how far I can get it. And if, that, there's, a, if there's a certain point where I really just don't know what I'm doing, um, I'll, I'll play it cautious. I might not put anything there or, you know, might make it something that I think maybe could be there, but is not outlandish, but, uh, it's better to leave something out than put something that's obviously wrong because if someone is using the airport and they come across an area where there might be, maybe there's a, a missing shed or something like that. And they get to this point where there's a missing shed, it's not going to be obvious that there's something missing unless you fly to that airport all the time. 
So 99% of the time, it won't make a difference being cautious. But on the other hand, if you went in and you said, well, I don't know what's here, so I'm just going to throw a building there, it might look completely outlandish and be obvious to a lot more people that that shouldn't be there. Right. So it's it's kind of, it's, it's as you said, following your intuition, but in, in a way, like a reasonable way. So if if you feel as if something, you know, just throwing throwing in an object because you know it's supposed to be there, but you don't necessarily know what it's supposed to look like, if you have a choice between doing that and also, uh, and and just leaving it out, you tend to leave it out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much just erring on the side of caution. If you're not sure about right. something, just don't go above and beyond to make it something that pops out. You want to just blend in. You said that you're kind of. Well, you confirmed what I was saying, that you're kind of an airport designer in a sense, because you have to get in the mind of one in order to make one. Do you have any design experience previous before you started working on? Uh, I don't have any specific design experience when it comes to airports, but sort of just by my nature, uh, I'm an engineer by trade. And so I think about things technically and I sort of just apply that the same when I'm looking at airports. I think about it from a more granular scale about not necessarily what the end product is, but why things are like it. And, you know, at an airport, almost uh, like a hundred percent of the time, there's not going to be something that's placed somewhere or designed in a way that doesn't have a purpose. So, you know, in, in most products, actually, not even airports, things are designed for a reason, unless it's purely aesthetic, which, for the most part at airports, aside from some of the buildings, things aren't going to be made for aesthetics. So once you figure out what the, the logical reasoning is for something being designed that way, you can pretty much get the answer, uh, you know, most of the time. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, specific sceneries and instead of your process. So why uh, KSDF? What brought you to Louisville? So Louisville, at the time I started making scenery, so this was the summer of 2018, so just about a year and a half ago, I was doing an internship at UPS in New Jersey. And so at that time, I sort of had some exposure to Louisville just through work, which got me interested in flying there. Um, I'm sure, you know, if you've ever traveled anywhere, once you get home from that trip, you always have that that uh, the inclination to go fly into the airport that you're just at. And so I sort of had that with Louisville. And I looked at uh, I looked at the xplane.org and I looked around and there wasn't really any good scenery for it. And so I thought, you know, this is a big airport. I think it's the seventh most busy uh, cargo airport in the world and one of the busiest, actually I think it's the busiest airport in, in Kentucky. And there's not really any good scenery for it. And so I thought it would be really interesting to do that. Um, and then I sort of started thinking about it more. Well, if I really wanted to do Louisville, why not some of the other airports? And so I looked around at some other ones. And, and I ended up coming back to Louisville for a number of reasons. So the first one just being that initial interest I had for it. I just thought it would be cool to fly to. And I was just interested in it just from my exposure to it. But also, uh, when you when you factor in flying to an airport in the sim, you usually are going to be flying there. Well, I think most people fly based on real world routes or 
or somewhat realistic routes, whether it be, you know, flying with an airline that goes in there or an aircraft that flies in there. And when you think about Louisville, so UPS is the main operator there. They fly most of their wide bodies go into Louisville and there's a whole bunch of different operations out of there. And when you sort of line that up with the aircraft, we have an X-plane, they used to fly the 727, which we have a great version of. They fly the 757, the 767, uh, the 747-8, all of which we have good payer of. Plus, the one of the biggest ones was the MD-11. They're one of the biggest MD-11 operators. And anybody who's interested in long haul or wide bodies is probably super excited for the Rotate MD-11. So that was sort of my... I'm really excited for this plane and really want to fly it in here. So that sort of pushed me a little bit more. But in general, when I when I try to pick airports, that's one of the things I consider is not just the airport itself, but the planes and the airlines that fly into it. So it's like a it's it's both a a process of really really enjoying the airport and also a very personal reason. Like I could see myself flying the Rotate MD11 when it comes out into louisville and that's why i want to design the scenery for it yeah pretty much i think uh every scenery i've ever done is one that i'm personally interested in flying to especially when you're working on these bigger airports it can take a couple hundred hours to do and if you're not interested in the airport and not interested in the project it makes it really hard to be motivated so while there's a lot of factors that go into it the one factor that has to be there is it has to be somewhere that I'm interested in and I would like to fly to. And so that really narrows it down quite a bit because there's a lot of airports that just aren't interesting. That's I think that's a big reason too why there's not a lot of uh a lot of small town airports because a lot of the time people either don't know about them or they don't know enough about them to be interested in it. Cuz I think pretty much any airport can be interesting once you learn enough about it and you really start getting into the operations that go on there and all the little nuances. But from a high level point of view, a lot of airports just seem the same. I really like that nuances thing. I fly whenever I am going to do pilot license stuff. I fly out of Van Nuys Airport in California, which is like Santa Monica Airport's bigger brother. And there's a lot, of, once you fly there a lot, um, my CFI started to get me into the jokes and stuff that exist for the airport. And it really gives you this really personal feeling and this very, very personal like connection to them. There's uh, the plane that I fly is a 172 and it's uh, November 90536 Delta. And I sometimes fly to Van Nuys here and there because as you were saying earlier, you want to fly to the airports that you've flown to before because especially after you've flown there, because it's just that feeling that you get. And um, I remember that I was I was on VATSIM once and I was flying under that call sign and I had somebody write to me and they had actually trained with the same instructor that I did. And we we like remarked for a few minutes about what that was like and some of the little jokes about the airport and and all of that so i totally understand how how you got to that point and um yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't know i don't know exactly where i was going with that but i just thought i'd share that little thing <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I think every project I've ever worked on too, I come out of it being more interested in the airport just because I've learned so many little things after going through building it that I feel a lot more connected to, a lot more interested in it. And like uh, Louisville, for example, there's a little patch of grass right in the middle of one of the aprons. And I had no idea going into it, but I learned as I was making it that it's actually an Indian burial ground. And there is a whole big debate locally about building an airport around it. And so it's just this patch of grass that's fenced off right in the middle of the airport that to most people wouldn't look like anything. But if you know what it is, it's really interesting. It really gives the airport a lot more character. Holy smokes, that's crazy. I, you, you know, bring that into the conversation. I cannot imagine what people who develop scenery for Denver International Airport go through in order to make some of the stuff about that because of the crazy conspiracies that lie about it yeah that uh that must be crazy although i think they've gotten rid of some of the stuff i was flying through denver a couple months ago and had some time there and i was looking around and they they used to have all these uh murals and stuff around the airport but i couldn't find any of them i think they got rid of a couple of them oh really i guess the conspiracy was a little bit too much are there things about scenery development that people don't necessarily see because on forums that broadcast development of sceneries there's often just a lot of pictures of renderings but i get the sense that there might be something else there in the sense that you have to deal with like airport elevation and other things that have to do with dimensions of the airport is that something that you have to like readily consider oh yeah for sure so there's a a lot of little things that you don't really think about it until you have to think about it and so yeah you mentioned elevation is one Uh, a lot of airports aren't perfectly flat and especially with big buildings i ran into this at louisville uh the the big sort facility at worldport is huge it's like more than a mile long and if you have even a very small gradient there's going to be a big gap at one end of it so you have to factor that in you have to build the building a little bit below ground so that with elevation changes you don't have issues there's all sorts of of small things like just dealing with uh, the the engine and x-plane there's little nuances you have to deal with there texture sizes and compressions and file formats there's a lot of little things that uh, that sort of go into it and some of them end up taking more time than actually building the airport itself we have microsoft flight simulator 2020 or MFS 2020 or FS 2020. There's a huge, as I'm sure you've seen, lots of people are debating what we should call it. <laughs> um, so we can we can use them all for now until we all decide upon, well, you know, we, we might not ever decide what, it, what to call it. But um, for Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020, there's, there's that on the horizon. What are some of your thoughts about uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020? And, and do you know anything about it and what it is going to change for scenery development? Yeah, I think that's really exciting. I started out pretty skeptical as a lot of people have because we've been burned a bunch of times with people promising new sims that turn out to be no good. And then we end up just right back where we were at the beginning, but uh, you know, disappointed by this new sim that didn't come to fruition. But I think the more we've been seeing from Microsoft and from the interviews they've been doing, I think it's actually something that they're building with us in mind and not the bottom line. So I think it will be a really good sim. And I think it's going to enhance the experience and get a lot of new people into the genre. 
So one of the biggest things is, of course, the scenery that is so good with that, with all their AI and uh, their two petabytes of Google Earth imagery, or rather Bing imagery, I suppose. Um, so I, I think that's definitely going to be at least part of the future. There may be some things in it that don't quite stand up to what we currently have, but for a lot of people, I think they'll end up migrating over there part-time or full-time. So as far as scenery development goes, it's really hard to tell based on what we've seen so far. We haven't seen a whole lot of close-ups of the airports. And so it's hard to gauge whether airports are going to be sort of like the Lego brick type thing that we get with X-Plane, or if they're going to be higher quality, if they're using the photogrammetry data or something like that to really have a high quality airport. So as far as sceneries go, I don't really know what's going to be needed. I don't know if it's going to need, you know, all of the, all the scenery stuff we have now, if it's going to need add on scenery, or maybe it might just need some tweaks, maybe the ground, uh, you know, all the taxi routes and everything will be good, but buildings will need to be done. But I'm really excited to see what we need, and I'm excited to see what they have in mind for developers, because they have mentioned several times that they're working with developers, and they're going to be making an SDK and making it sort of developer-friendly. And so I'm really interested to see what comes out of that, and if it's something like X-Plane, where they really are building it with developers in mind, or if it's going to be more like P3D, where it's a, a lot more difficult for people to get into making add-ons. In episode three, we talked about add-ons specifically and what it meant for developers. What do you think about the argument that senior developers will become defunct because of the really great uh, satellite imagery that Microsoft Flight Simulator is going to be bringing? I think it's definitely going to, it's going to have a big hit on the add-on scenery market for sure. Because even if it's not as big an issue, there, there may be still a big spot for scenery developers in the market. But if you look at it from the other side, it might be that the default is good enough where most people don't really care about paying 20 bucks for a slightly better version. It's been pretty well known that a lot of the legacy simulators have pretty bad default scenery. And so getting add-on scenery is a huge upgrade, and it's something that really makes a big difference. But if we're having such good default scenery, even if add-on developers are able to make really amazing new sceneries with all of these new tools and the new engine and all that, it might be more a fact rather than the quality not being there. It might just be that the default quality is so good that people just aren't as interested in paying for scenery. I think we'll have to see still based on what the default scenery actually looks like. And we haven't really seen a lot of, uh, of close details and haven't had a lot of time to really dig into it. And there may be a lot of small things that are missing or there may be uh, you know inaccuracies that might be able to be fixed. But I think the add-on scenery market will at least slow down. It'll at least become less of a necessity and more of a, an added feature to a lot of simulators. So to switch the conversation a little bit more towards your new scenery, your Anchorage scenery, which I must say I am very excited for because Anchorage is an airport that I love so much. I flew there 
a few years ago and Alaska is just such a beautiful place and along with it is Anchorage which is an incredibly interesting airport I kind of ranted a little bit about it last week when we talked about the uh, when we talked about come from away and um, all the events after 9-11 and such um, what uh, tell what makes you continue to develop um, that scenery with Microsoft Flight Simulator on the rise is it that passion that you were talking about uh, that kind of made you want to just um, design Louisville where you were so interested in the airport that it, since it was such a, since it was a hobby, you didn't really, you know, care where it went. You just wanted to do it every once in a while um, because airworthy designs stopped developing for X-Plane. We talked about that a few weeks ago as well um, in favor of Microsoft flight simulator because they felt like it wouldn't be worth their time to continue to develop sceneries. So what makes you continue to um, develop for Anchorage? Yeah, so a big part of it is just being freeware. I don't have to worry about if people don't buy my scenery because it's free. So I can develop it and flight sim might come out a week after I release the scenery and a lot of people will never even use it. But in the end, it it doesn't really make a difference to me. Of course, I'd like to see people use it and enjoy it, but the bottom line is that it, it won't really have a negative impact on me or my development. But I started working on it. Uh, I started probably a couple weeks after the first trailer for Flight Sim was announced. And at that time, things are still pretty unsure as if it would actually be a good simulator. And I sort of just been developing it anyway. I think the biggest reason that I've decided to to keep with X-Plane development now is just that everything is uncertain. And the one thing that I am certain of is that people still use X-Plane and people still enjoy flying in it and, you know, downloading scenery. So I don't really have a reason not to develop for it. There's reasons to be interested in developing for this new platform, but until I can get my hands on it and really see what the future is going to be. I might as well just stick with X-Plane and stick with what works. And then once things uh, progress, I can take it from there. What was what was the spark that lit you up to do Anchorage? Uh, so I was pretty much for maybe a month or two, I kind of just here and there kept looking at different airports and just thinking about what it would take to do it and if it needs to be done. And I ended up making a list of probably about 20 different airports that I thought were good uh, good airports to consider for my next project. And it came down to a couple. I thought about doing Memphis for a while. That was sort of the obvious next airport after Louisville. And uh, that had uh, somebody working on a good payware version of it. So I thought mm, maybe I should hold off a little bit on that. And I came across Anchorage and after reading into it a little bit more, I noticed that Anchorage is a really weird airport and it's it's very unique. So, you know, first off, it's in the middle of, uh, well, maybe not the middle of Alaska, but it, it's really out, out there, really far away from a lot of stuff. And it's used as a pretty big stopover point for cargo flights between North America and Asia. And I think it's the fourth busiest cargo airport in the world just in terms of traffic and you know the more you dig into it the more interesting stuff you find so there are 
a lot of really interesting airlines that fly out of there. There's an airline that flies cargo versions of the MD-80, which I don't know that any airline other than that one, I think it's Everett's Air Cargo. I don't know if there's any other airlines that fly cargo MD-80. There's, yeah, there's some weird stuff. There's DC-3s that fly out of there regularly. There's uh, civilian C-130s flying cargo operations. Uh, And then on top of that, it's probably based on airport movements, probably has the highest ratio of any airport in the world of 747s. Because most of the airlines that are flying cargo through there are flying 747s, usually the 400s or Dash 8s. Um, so it's just a really interesting airport in terms of traffic and the location and all sorts of different operations. And then on top of that, there's also uh, connected to it is Lake Hood, which is the biggest float plane, float plane base in all of Alaska. And it's right next to a big city. So it's really just a very interesting airport with a whole lot of weird stuff going on and so i thought it would be kind of a fun one to do and for people who aren't interested in flying all these weird routes with old planes there's always the cargo operations and uh, all the commercial stuff that goes in there because it does still have a pretty big commercial terminal as well let's go back to microsoft flight simulator 2020 you already talked about your thoughts about it but do you have any plans in terms of going into it are you going to sit back and watch what some other scenery developers do with it first and then shoot your shot or are you going to immediately hop into it that's sort of it's something that i've thought about a lot and i've thought about if i want to just you know go into it right now or wait or what and it sort of comes down to just needing more information so i'm not tied to x-plane i've always developed for x-plane because a lot of people use X-Plane and I use X-Plane and it's easy to develop for. But if it turns out that 90% of the community goes to Flight Simulator, well, I'll probably follow them and, and go over there as well. And the same thing goes to if, uh, if scenery is really good for Flight Simulator and there's really no need for freeware scenery, maybe if, uh, you know, it, it might be that the airports are pretty good at the bat, but they can be upgraded to a payroll quality with a lot of work. It might just not be worth it. So it depends a lot on what we actually see with it. But I think before I can really decide if I want to switch over or not, the main thing I need to see is I need to get my hands on it and really just sort of look at the default airports all around the world and see if they need to be upgraded. And then I need to actually see what tools there are for developers. I need to see how the SDK is and is it going to be easy to work on an airport or is it going to be something that ends up actually being harder than working on X-Plane? And if I can get the answer to those two things, I think I can pretty reasonably determine if I want to switch over or not. I'm kind of hoping that the answer is that it's, it's easy to do, but we'll see. And in terms of X-Plane, after you finish Anchorage, are you going to go on to Memphis or do you have any other airports in mind? Yeah, so that the list of airports that I've created has just been growing pretty much continuously. And so uh, I don't even know how many I have on it now, probably like 30 or 40 airports, which I wish I could do all of them, but there's just not enough time in the world to do that. So I have some ideas for my next project. I have one that 
I'm trying to do a collaboration with a couple of other guys. I've been calling it Project Meridian for now, just to give it a name. But uh, not quite ready to release what the airport is yet. But hopefully, I think it should be something that everyone's interested in. But I have a number of airports that I'm interested in and a number of, uh, of side projects, which I've been considering taking on as well. So we'll see. I'm not entirely sure what I'll be making in the future, just as I'm not sure if, uh, you know, when Flight Simulator is going to come out and what that has in store. But I guess we'll all kind of figure out as time goes on. Kyle, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. Kyle, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to see what Anchorage looks like and also what your future projects may be for Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. Next week on the show, we have Bill Wemmick from iBlue Yonder, who has developed scenery such as Portland Airport and also Nantucket Airport for both P3D and X-Plane 11. That's all for this week's episode of In Flight. See you all next week.